Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Pastor Alex, and once again, we are back at it with another new episode. And this week we are going to uh, take a little bit of a break from Matthew. Uh, As this episode is going to air on Good Friday, I want to really focus on kind of the the events that are going to partake, and I want to focus on... Uh, the whole kind of process, if you would, of all of these things that unfold between uh, the Lord's Supper, which is on Thursday, the institution of the Lord's Supper, and Friday afternoon. So we're going to work ourselves through that content for today. We will be using the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, this will be, again, something we revisit uh, later down the road when we spend more time to deep dive into these passages. Uh, this episode is going to be more of kind of like a, a hair, a high level view of this. And, and more than likely we will pick from John and Luke and Mark's account as well, because we want to just kind of paint the picture of what's going on, the order of events, what happens and uh, the whole process of Christ um, being crucified and dying. So this night is a fairly significant night for Christians. Uh, I'd, I'd probably say it is the most significant night for Christianity is the night that Christ died. Because if Christ didn't die, then your sins are not forgiven. If Christ didn't die, then there is no salvation, eternal life. There is no resurrection, none of that. So he had to die. Then he was resurrected on the third day. And now we have this promise because he comes back and gives it to us over and over again. So uh, let us dig into the kind of crux of the show. Um, I'm not going to waste any time doing any of my preliminary commercials, if you would. We're just going to get right into the material uh, and see where it lands us. Now, if just a quick marker, though, if you do want to support us, patreon.com forward slash undying light, and you can join for a dollar a month, and you'll get access to all these shows and all of that early enough. So 
Matthew 26, long chapter. It's uh, 75 verses long, but we're going to just focus on a few of these elements. And so, like I said, we're going to kind of peruse through Thursday night into Friday morning, and we will be discussing some of these things a little bit more in detail, and we will be talking through some of these significant differences of each of the gospel accounts. So we will begin tonight's journey looking at Matthew 26, verses 26 and on. We will also use Mark 14, verses 22 through 25, Luke 22, verses 17 through 20, and Paul's writings to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. So these are the re-encounters of the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper. Each of these will give us a little bit of light. Um, and then we will move on kind of in a chronological manner of time and discuss some of these events as they unfold. So Matthew 26 starts with this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant. Older translations, uh, especially King James, I feel, has a better word used here, which is testament. Uh, so when I do my words of institution, I use the word testament instead of covenant uh, because this is essentially the last will and testament of Jesus Christ right here, uh, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. That's Matthew. Here's Mark's. Remember chapter 14, 22 through 25. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take and eat, uh, take, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank of it. And he said to him, this is my blood of the new covenant. Again, changing the text. I'm reading the ESV here, uh, which is poured out for many of you. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And here's Luke's uh, take on it. Beginning in the 17th verse of chapter 22, he says, And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourself, for I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup that is poured out for you as the New Testament or the New Covenant in my blood. So Luke is pretty significantly different than uh, Matthew and Mark. But we will kind of briefly talk through it again. I, I We've covered the Lord's Supper extensively on previous shows. We did a whole series on the sacraments. So go back if you're really curious on the Lutheran take on it. We're just going to kind of point at a few things as we work through today's show because it's a, a single one-off show. It's kind of like a special edition Good Friday episode, and I don't want to spend all of my time expounding uh, Thursday night. So here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and he had given thanks. He broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is... Uh, for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink 
the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Paul gives a little bit more light, um, but I really want to focus here on a couple aspects of this pa- these passages. First of all, this is what we as Lutherans and Christians would, would point to and say this is the institution of the Lord's Supper. That is exactly how it's labeled in the ESV Bible. Uh, so if you kind of are skittish or you know skittish on uh, the sacraments, I bid you to go back and listen to the whole series on sacraments. I actually talk about the major differences between the sacraments and the ordinances and why a lot of the Protestant movements that have a low view of the sacraments consider them ordinances and don't like these passages because they tell you very specific things. Mark, Matthew, Luke, and even Paul in the in this instance is calling this notion uh, for the forgiveness of sins. Paul doesn't say it verbally, but what he does get to is you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And in Paul and in Luke and Mark and Matthew, they all give you this kind of same notion. Do this in remembrance of me. This is not a memorial service. This is not a time that you just do it as a as a checking of the box because that's how some people will take this passage. They will actually disregard everything else that is said and say, well, Jesus said this is just to do this in remembrance of him. So it's just a mere, you know, it has no significant value. However, the words of Christ are being neglected if you forget what he, else he has said. Take and eat. This is my body. Drink of it. This is my blood. This is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sins. His blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You are partaking in the Lord's uh, death. And that is the remembrance that you that you come back to. You come back to the notion that Christ died for you. His blood was shed for you. And as you eat and drink the wine, that is the body and blood of Christ going into your mouth and giving you that that reassurance it is this is what the sacrament does this is the the whole premise to the you know our christian faith and i used early church fathers we talked through a whole bunch of that so this is something that is really heavily in, uh, influenced throughout the church age that christ is present in under and with the bread and wine now we talked a little bit about how the catholics and other protestant views on that series kind of take this and run with it but as a lutheran we take it as is it means what it means. It's the simple and uncomplicated reading of this passage. Don't read into it because you're going to get lost in the weeds of philosophical mumble jumble. So he institutes the Lord's Supper. He gives them the promise that every time you partake in this, you will be given the forgiveness of sins. Now, you can argue whether the forgiveness of sins is a one-time act, which it is. It's the death of Christ on the cross, which was sufficient enough to cover the, the death of uh, or his death was sufficient enough to cover all of the sins of all of mankind of all of history. So that is the one marker of all forgiveness, the death of Christ on the cross. But you have to be reminded of this. You have to be told over and over that your sins are forgiven because you get lost in your own humanist explanations, your own logic, your own philosophical basis, and you forget what Christ has done for you. So every time you eat and drink of his body and his blood, you partake in the remembrance that your sins are forgiven. So uh, we can, again, dig into like John chapter 6 and talk through all that, those nuances. But for time's sake, we're going to carry on. So he institutes uh, the, the Lord's Supper here in those passages. 
And then the next kind of moment here is these this big chunk of text in John chapter 14. This is his farewell discourse in the upper room. And so we're just going to talk through a couple verses because uh, it takes you from verse 1 to 31. We're just going to talk through a few of these and kind of paint the picture. So Jesus begins, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and repair, prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That is why, or that is where I may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then there's some more uh, discussion here. And Jesus continues to to kind of work through this discourse. And again, for time's sake, I would love to just go through every single verse in this passage uh, in all of these passages that we will take, but we're going to just kind of high-level view it. If we jump down to verse 24, uh, let's start with 21 here. Uh, it's going to be finishing a thought. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, uh, he it is who loves me, and who loves me will also be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself in him. So, Go back and spend the time and read it. You know, this is a holy week for the Christian faith. So take the time and read these passages and just meditate on them. What are they telling you? What are they doing to you? How are they impacting you? Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to make him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me and does not keep my words, and the word, in uh, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all of these things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is giving us now the promise of the Holy Spirit, right here in verses. Uh, 24 through 26 and he continues on with this little discourse but this is the promise of the holy spirit so now we have a helper who will cause us to remember all of the things that jesus had spoken to him and this is kind of a the paramount verse if you would to the writings of the new testament the holy spirit has come he gives uh, light and illumination and draws to remembering all of the things that Christ has spoken to him. And again, is working through the writers of the New Testament to preach this message. And to write it down and seal it with the word of God. This is, you know, the unedited version of God's word right here in the New Testament. And we can get into the discussions of translations and all that stuff, but that's not for today. But right here we have kind of the marker to the Holy Spirit coming, and this is the you know giving of that promise to the New Testament authors uh, and to the next generations of Christians, and even to us today that the Holy Spirit is here helping us to remember the promises that God has given. So then we move on to John. Uh, this is going to be two chapters long here. This is his farewell discourse 
on the way to Gethsemane. Again, there's so much content here. Um, I would advise you to go and read it. But now they're on their way to the garden. And uh, in John chapter 17, we will see this beautiful uh, intercessory prayer that is spoken by Jesus. And for time, we will actually read through these 26 verses just because they are impactful. Uh, So beginning with verse 1 of chapter 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given uh, given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and I have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I come from you. And they believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine is yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I have kept your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has has been lost except the son of destruction. Speaking of Judas uh, Iscariot here. Uh, The scripture might be fulfilled, but now I am coming to you, and these things that I speak to you, and they uh, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world hated them because they are not of the world, but just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from this evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they have also been, uh, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through your word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. But they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be, uh, be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may also be with me where I am, to see my glory, that you have given me because you have loved me from the foundation of the earth. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these, uh, and these know that you have sent me. I have known them to uh, I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love of which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So a huge uh, section of passage there that Jesus gives us here, that beautiful prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and we see 
in the next kind of section here, the prayer in the garden. This is going to take us Matthew 26, verse 30, and then jump us to 36 through 46. It'll be Mark 14, 26, and then 32 through 42. And then Luke 22, verses 39 through 46, as well as John 18, 1. So there's, a, again, a lot of scripture here, but we're just going to kind of skim through it. Um, and we will see kind of what Jesus really laments here. And uh, in using Mark, for instance, in verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what uh, what I will, but what you will. Mark record or Matthew records it in this manner in verse thirty nine. My Father, if it be possible that this cup uh, pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is praying here to re- to have this cup taken from him. Luke records it this way in verse forty two. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus is you know, feeling the, str- the, the the stress and the pressures here of his impending death, uh, and more so the the suffering that he is about to intake. It's not necessarily the death on the cross. It's the pouring out of God's wrath upon him. So then he comes back and he finds his disciples uh, asleep and he arouses them and he says, you know, take and get your rest later. There's things uh, that are to be done in verse 46. And Matthew, rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. 42 and Mark, rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And um, Mark, uh, Luke does not record the betrayer. He just says, and he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So now we get to this, you know, lengthy section on the the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, and the burial of Jesus. Uh, This is also titled as the Judas Kiss because uh, this is how he will identify the Messiah. Uh, this takes us to Matthew 26, verses 47 through 56, Mark 14, verses 43 through 52, uh, Luke 22, verses 47 through 53, and John 18, 2 through 11. So Matthew gives us a little bit of the longer section, so we're going to read through Matthew. And he says, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and he with him a great crowd with swords and clubs. And the chief priests and the elders of the people, now the betrayer has given them a sign saying, The one that I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus and he said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those Uh, who were with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. And the hour that Jesus said, to the crowd and now and at that hour Jesus said to the crowds have you come out uh, as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me day after day I sat in your temple teaching and you did not seize me but all this has to be taking place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled then all of his disciples left him and fled that's Matthew's take um Mark only records one section of Jesus speaking in verse 48 he says and this is after the cutting off of his ear Jesus says, have you come out uh, as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me day after day? I was with you in the temple 
teaching and you do not seize me, but to let the scriptures be fulfilled. And then his disciples leave. Uh, Luke records that Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? This is the uh, identifying as the kiss that G- Judas gives. Uh, and then we've got uh, the servant's ear being cut off. And we've got Jesus just saying no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed it. And then he replies, uh, have you come out against a robber with clubs and swords? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour in the power of darkness. So uh, Luke gives us a little bit more you know, detail, if you would, on um, that marker here. John gives us this. Whom do you seek uh, when, Ju- when they come? And they answer, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. And Jesus said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. And so when he asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. That uh, this was to fulfill the prophet, uh, the word spoken of those whom you gave me. I have not lost one. Uh, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malachus. (laughs) And, And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its teeth. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So John gives us a bit of different perspective. Now remember, Matthew and John travel with Jesus. Luke and Mark pick up their stories later on from other sources. So Luke is primarily coming from uh, the his time with Paul. And uh, we know Paul had spent direct time with Jesus. And we, again, don't know the depth of all that Jesus had spoken to him, but on the road to Damascus, we know that Paul was really given all of this information. Then we know Mark probably was a disciple of Peter. So we know that there are probably, uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities with how Mark approaches his story versus how Peter saw the story unfolded. But Matthew and John are two that traveled with Jesus extensively. And I think their stories really give some insight into what is going on here. And again, they focus on some different elements that uh, are needed for us as Christians. This kind of power that John gives us and demonstrates, whom do you seek? And they answer Jesus of Nazareth. And he says to them, I am he. And this is repeated three times. And then on the third, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And this is kind of, uh, and then it goes on to a fourth time. And then he says, let these men go. So this is, again, one of those passages that really demonstrates the power of Christ even amidst his uh, betrayal and arrest. So now we move on. So now we move on to the arrest of Jesus, and he's taken to Annas. This is uh, John 18, verses 12 through 14 and 19 through 23. So the band of soldiers and their captains and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Cephasius, uh, who was the high priest that year, and Cephasius, who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that the one that one man should die for the people. The high priest questioned Jesus and his disciples and his teaching uh, about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, "I have spoken only to the world, and I have always taught in synagogues and the temples where all the Jews come together. I have not said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me?" Ask those who have heard me and what they have said 
and what I have said to them, they know what I have said. And when he had heard these things, one of the officers struck, uh, standing by Jesus, struck him with his hand, saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? All right, and now Jesus faces uh, Caiaphasius and the Sanhedrin. This is going to take us across all four Gospels. Matthew 26, verses 59 and then, or 57 and then 59 through 68. Mark 14, verse 53 and then 55 through 65. Luke 22, 54a and then 63 through 65. And then uh, G, uh, John 18, verse 24. So there's a long discussion here in Matthew and Mark. Luke is fairly short. We're going to jump to just a couple passages. Jesus said to him in verse 64, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated on the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven. And this is uh, the high priest tore his robes and he said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we have? Do we need? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered him, he deserves death, and they spit on his face and struck him, and some of him and some slapped him, saying, "Prophesy to us, Christ, who was it that struck you?" And so, uh, we have the guards also striking Jesus, as recorded in Mark. So now he's being taunted, he's being, uh, you know, physically assaulted, he's being slapped and spit on, and now we have um, kind of the the precursor to him being taken into the crucifixion. Uh, then we have come across the betrayal uh, or the denial of Jesus by Peter. This is Matthew 16, verse 58, and then 69 through 75. Mark 14, 54, and then 66 through 72. Luke 22, 54b through 62. And John 18, 5, uh, 15 through 18, and 25 through 27. So we know that Jesus betrays, or Peter betrays Jesus three times before dawn. Uh, moving on, the chief priests and the elders moved to put Jesus to death. Uh, this is recorded mostly here in Luke in verse uh, chapter 22, verses 66 through 71. It says this, The day came, the assemblies of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and the scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe me. But if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man may be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they said to him, You Are you the Son of God? And he said to them, You say that I am. And then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Uh, and then we move on to Judas hanging himself. This is Matthew 27, verses 3 through 10. And Acts chapter 1, 18 through 19 uh, is a reflection of that. And then Jesus faces Pilate. This is uh, Matthew 27, verse 2, and then 11 through 14. Mark 15, 1b through 5. Luke 23, 1 through 5. And John 18, 28 through 38. Uh, so we now, let's read Luke's account here. And then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to him, chief, to the chief priests and the crowds, I found no guilt in this man, but you are urgent, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout Judea 
from Galilee to this place. John's account is a little bit longer. Uh, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own account or do others say it about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? You, your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered him, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said, So you are a king. Jesus answered him, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I am born. For this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said, What is truth? And he said, uh, And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I have found no guilt in him. So John's account's a little bit more you know, instructive here between uh, Pilate and Jesus. And we get that famous little quote by Pilate here in verse 38, What is truth? Because he is being essentially masked here. He does not see the deity of Christ standing before him. Uh, now Jesus will face Herod Antipas here in Luke 23, verses 6 through 12. Jesus faces Pilate a second time, Matthew 27, 15 through 26, Mark 15, 6 through 15, Luke 23, 13 through 25, and John 18, 39 through 19, 16a. So long passage here between the second declaration of uh, between Jesus and Pilate. Uh, but let's read the last part of John here and go from verse 14 on now it was the day of preparation for the passover it had been about the sixth hour and he said to the jews behold your king and they cried out away with him uh, away with him crucify him and pilate said to him shall i crucify your king and the chief priest answered we have no king but caesar so he delivered him over to be crucified so they took jesus now he's going to be mocked by the military matthew 27 verses 27 through 30 and Mark 15, 16 through 19, this is what Matthew says. And the soldiers and the governor took Jesus into the governor's quarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it, put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, and they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him in the head. Uh, Matthew records fairly close to the same thing that Mark does here as well. Uh, now we get to the way of the cross. This is Matthew 27, verses 31 through 34, Mark 15, 20 through 23, Luke 23, 26 through 33, John 19, 16 through uh, 16b through 17. Uh, and then in Luke here, we get this little uh, lament from Jesus here, uh, talking about those who are weeping for him as he's going along. Uh, but then we get to the crucifixion. This is the whole premise to Good Friday. This is the entire scope of the text that we handle. Uh, There's a lot of verses to deal with, so we're going to kind of move through a few of these. Matthew 27, 35 through 44, Mark 15, 24 through 32, Luke 23, 33b through 34, 38, 35 through 37, 39 through 43. Luke is a little truncated here, if you would. Uh, John 19, uh, verses 18, and then 23 through 24, and then 19 through and then 19 through 22 and 25 through 27. So this is the account of the crucifixion. So go, as I mentioned, go and read these passages. They're, they're quite impactful, but we're going to read Luke's here 
um, but just because it's got this close out here in verse 43 that I like. Uh, when they came to the place called the skull, they had crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on his left. And Jesus said to him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots and divided his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, for if he is the chosen, if he is the Christ of God, the ch- his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him some sour wine, saying, If you are the king of Jews, save yourself. There's also an inscription above him. The king, uh, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who ha- were hanged ra- railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for, uh, and we indeed justly for we have received the due reward for our debts. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom, when you come into your kingdom. And he said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, a uh, quick little notion here on this on this thief on the cross. A lot of people like to say, well, the thief wasn't baptized, and so therefore you can get to heaven without being baptized. Uh, no Lutheran or confessionally right-thinking Lutheran would ever say that baptism is the only way to salvation. It is one way for salvation to happen because nestled in the promises of baptism is the forgiveness of sin. Where the forgiveness of sin is, salvation is present. But Jesus here is speaking to, uh, to this criminal on the cross, and this is before the institution of, the, of baptism as a sacrament. This is before the resurrection, so we would still assert that you know there are other ways to make it to heaven and this thief is speaking strictly to um to Jesus and he is granted salvation because he is he has uh, prayed to Jesus here please remember me when you enter your kingdom so he is offering his faith to Christ he knows that he is the son of god and he's giving himself over to his mercy all right, Matthew 27, 45 through 50, Mark 15, 33 through 37, uh, Luke 23, 44 through 54, and John 19, 28 through 30. These are all the death of Christ. We're going to read John's account here um, just because I can't read in Aramaic, but we'll take a swing here at John's. Uh, after this, Jesus, knowing that they, that all was finished, said, uh, said to, his, to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, and they put up the sponge full of sour wine on a hyspa branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. The events that accompanied the death of Christ. This is a fascinating portion of passage here. This is in Matthew 25, 51-56, uh, in Mark chapter 15, 38-41, and Luke 23, 45b. And then 47 through 49. So we're going to read Mark's account here. When the curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw uh, in the way that he breathed out his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. And there was also women looking on from the distance, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James, the younger, uh, and of Hosus and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And they were also among many women who came up with him to Jerusalem. All right, so let's look at Matthew really quick, verses uh, 52 here until like 54. Uh, The tombs were opened. This is, again, at the death. The curtain is 
torn into two. Matthew's the only one that records these couple of verses, so pay attention to that. And the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints had fallen asleep were raised. In the coming of the tombs after his resurrection, they went out into the holy city and appeared to many. Those two verses are so significant to the power of Christ in his death. There is a lot of speculation of what Christ did between his death and his resurrection. We assert as believers that he went into the land of the dead, whether it was Hades or hell or the land of the dead or, or Abraham's bosom or whatever title you want to assert to it. He goes to the place of the dead. He frees those that are captive and those who were saints, those who had faith, who had fallen asleep, who had died, were raised from the dead, given this, you know, this now, uh, we, we haven't gotten to the resurrection body yet, so we would assert that this is probably their spirit, if you would. Uh, they are able to walk amongst the living and show themselves to the living before spending uh, their time with Christ until the res promised resurrection. So there's a lot of really complicated theology that funnels into these few days because there's this notion of what happened to the saints who died before Christ. What did Christ do in the in while in the tomb for three days? You know, the death of Christ. How do you how do you classify that? There's a lot of deep theology, and a lot of people like to balk at the idea that God died on the cross. If Jesus Christ is the Son of God, fully man, fully God, then Christ had to die on the cross. And that means God died on the cross. That does not mean his spirit, the spirit of God, the essence, the deity of Christ ceased from existing. That is this. That is the fault with the argument that God did not die on the cross. They think that the death would then institute the fact that God ceased to exist. And he never did. God never ceased to exist. But the deity of Christ, fully man, fully God, died on the cross and the spirit of God descended into the places of the dead and freed the captives. The spirit of God that is now encapsulated with Jesus Christ goes to the place of the dead, frees the captives, tri is triumphant over death, triumphant over the devil, and then is raised from the grave by the Holy Spirit. So a lot of, lot of complicated theology. A good book on this uh, is he descended into the dead. Um, I forgot who wrote it. It's in my library, but just Google that and you'll find it. It's a good book. Um, and it gives a pretty decent and impartial view at the Apostles' Creed and the line that he descended into hell. Some uh, creeds like to assert that he's descended into the dead or the place of the dead. And there's some, you know, even uh, there's a lot of modern debates surrounding this, this, you know, line in the Apostles' Creed. But I would, you know, as, as being a confessional Lutheran, we adhere to Christ descending into the place of the dead whatever title you want to give it hell is kind of a, a common association to it um, but it, it's interchangeable in my view between hell and Hades so or the land of the dead but anyways so Christ is dead that's Friday uh, his disciples are scattered they are hopeless there is nothing that they can adhere to that will bring them comfort. Christ has died, their Messiah, their Savior, their their hope of triumph over uh, the you know pharmaceutical rules and the Roman oppression is now gone. He is dead, buried, laying in a tomb. 
because just after the death of Christ, his burial takes place. Uh, Matthew 27, 57 through 60, Mark 15, 42 through 46, Luke 23, 50 through 54, and John 19, 31 through 42. And then the closing of the guarded tomb. This is taking place in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we have the resurrection taking place shortly after. So we have what we would call as Friday in the afternoon. He's dead. He's dead on a Friday. He's dead on Saturday. He's dead on Sunday. Those are the three days qualifying him to be dead. And then he raises on the third day. That's why we say on, on the third day he rose again. So the Jews in their timing and calculating time assert that because he was dead on Friday, that's day one. He was dead on Saturday. That's day two. And he was dead for a while on day three, which is Sunday. Then he raises from the grave. We don't know if he rose at like 6 a.m. or 8 a.m. or 5.42 a.m., but we know that he was dead between midnight and the time he rose, and that would encapsulate the third day. So three days, dead in the tomb, raises from the grave. That is the whole celebration of Easter. So as we can reflect back upon it, we can assert that we know what comes next. We are not left hopeless because a lot of, Theologians will classify Saturday, that day in between his death and his resurrection, as Silent Saturday. And that is the moment when it feels like all hope is lost for these disciples. But now we know, as we can reflect back, that this is the promise that Christ has given, and he will return. He will be raised from the grave. That is the beauty of the gospel. So we went over a little bit of time. I think it's appropriate for this measure. Again, we crossed through a whole ton of scripture and read as much as we could in the time period given to us. Uh, but again, spend some time this week and just and meditate on the, the death and resurrection of Christ. Open your Bible and just kind of work yourself through these passages. And, you know, you can Google a harmony of the Gospels and look at the resurrection in a, you know, as we have just done, as they align themselves up chronologically Go and just do that. Spend a few hours this week just meditating on the death and resurrection of Christ because this is what our entire faith hinges on. It is the entirety of this day, this week, and what comes out of this week. So, it's Friday. It means it's Good Friday. Get to church tonight. Hear the word proclaimed. Get to church on Sunday and hear the, the resurrection and the promises of the resurrection given to you freely. And be reminded that Christ did this for you. He died for your sins. He forgives you of your sins. And this is all for you. All right. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great week. We will see you next time. God bless. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.